My name is Kendall, if we haven't met personally. And uh, for the last few weeks, Pastor Jesse and Pastor Darren have been uh, kind of tag-teaming this series on hope. And uh, they've invited me to kind of run the anchor leg now and take it over the finish line in light of, of Easter. Many of you will know that my family and I moved to this area just last summer. We picked up a house just down the road. You probably drove right past it on your way here. What you probably don't know is that for the first while, we were renting. So we sold our house in Ontario on July 30th, and we were officially homeless. We had nowhere to go until we were to take possession in mid-August. And uh, the former owners very graciously helped us out. They let us rent the place from them so that we could load up our moving truck and not move twice, come on out, and then unpack and quarantine. Um, but we didn't actually have the place yet. It was a little bit strange, I'm going to tell you, to move in and live on the property that would soon be ours, but wasn't. Now, there was no pressure or, you know, no fussiness from, from the wonderful folks we bought from, but I was very conscious of my lack of authority on the place. Like, we unpacked into the house, um, and I mowed the lawn, but I had all these plans for the property. There were some trees that had died and needed to come down. Uh, there was a fence that I wanted to actually dismantle and relocate and put up again. There were a number of outbuildings that I wanted to clear out and um, convert for our new business, but I didn't have the authority. And then this day came. August 15th, after two painful weeks with no internet and a bundle of dreams and visions for our new place, the keys were put in my hands. I want you to keep that idea in the back of your mind. And if you have Bibles along with me, you'll want to flip open to Revelation chapter 1. John opens his letter, the book of Revelation, with this uh, greeting from God. He says, greetings, grace and peace to you from the one who was and is and is to come. And then he says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. The firstborn from the dead. Paul does something similar when he writes to the church in Colossae. So at the very beginning of Colossians, he, uh, he's talking about Jesus and calls him the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then he goes on and says that he's the head of the church, he's the beginning, and he's the firstborn 
from among the dead. So this is John, this is Paul, writing after the resurrection, and they have a new title for Jesus. A new title, the firstborn from among the dead, the first to rise, right? Was Jesus the first to rise from the dead? Actually, uh, no, he was not the first chronologically to rise from the dead, but John and Paul call him the firstborn from the dead, and it's very important we understand that because it changes everything for us today. It changes everything for you and I today that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Um, why do they call him the firstborn from the dead if, if he wasn't the first to rise? Now, the reason I say that is because there are other resurrections actually recorded in the Bible, and quite a few of them happened before Christ rises from the dead. We're just going to walk through them quickly here and uh, kind of recap. First was Elijah. Remember? Elijah, first kings. He's uh, hanging out with this widow. She's very generous to him. Her husband's gone. And then her son dies. And Elijah, by the power of God, raises that boy from the dead. A little bit later, you get into 2 Kings. And Elisha does the same thing. Again, interesting. There's a widow, Shunammite widow now. And she has no husband, but she has a son. The son passes away, and Elisha raises that boy from the dead. The third resurrection in the Bible, this one is really cool. It's also Elisha. And, uh, and it happens after he's dead. So what actually happens is Elisha dies. They bury him. And then sometime later, there's a funeral and a bunch of Israelite guys are burying someone. And these raiders from Moab come probably over the hill. And in a hurry, they grab the body and they chuck it in Elisha's grave. And when the body touches Elisha's bones, the guy comes back to life. You can actually read about it. I think it's verse uh, 21. Yeah, verse 21 there in 2 Kings 13, if you got to check it out, if you don't believe me. Um, another little interesting side note. Remember how Elisha asked Elijah for a double portion of his spirit? He said, Elijah, I see the incredible things you're doing, the miracles. Grant me a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah says, if you see me when I go, when I get taken up to heaven, then your wishes is kind of granted. And Elisha received a double portion of his spirit. So Elijah raised one person from the dead. Elisha raises two, albeit one posthumously. And then Jesus actually raised three people from the dead before he died. Um, again, another widow's son. And then this guy named Jairus, his daughter. And then famously, Lazarus. That's just a handful already. And, uh, and then there's another really kind of cool story. There's some more resurrections before Christ himself raises from the grave. It happens in Matthew 27 when Jesus dies. Matthew's the only one that records this little incident, but it's really fascinating. When Jesus died, this is what it says. It says he breathed 
his last and gave up his spirit. Then the sky goes dark, the ground shakes, the temple curtain tears in two, and it says that when the ground shook, the tombs broke open, some tombs broke open, and some saints, some holy men and women of Israel who had been dead for who knows how long, came out alive and were seen in the coming days during, after the resurrection, walking around Jerusalem. Okay, there's a couple other um, resurrections I'll just quickly mention because notably Peter and Paul, both in the book of Acts, also end up in the name of Jesus, raising an individual from the dead each. I think that would be, that'd be pretty cool. So, Jesus wasn't the first to rise from the dead. Why does John and Paul call him the firstborn from among the dead? Well, technically, yes, chronologically, he wasn't the first person to be resurrected, but Jesus is the firstborn from the dead because he was the first to raise himself. Jesus was the first to raise himself. Everyone else who was raised from the dead had some interaction with someone, and the power of God went, worked through kind of a mediator and raised them to life. And after Lazarus, for example, or these widow's sons were raised from the dead, someone had to tell them what happened. You imagine Lazarus stumbling out of the tomb, unwrap him. He goes like this, and they're like, Lazarus, you've been dead for four days, man. Someone had to tell him what happened. Listen to this out of, uh, I think it's John 10. Yeah. This is Jesus' words. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. Lazarus, someone had to tell Lazarus what happened to him. Jesus overcame death himself and then came back to tell us what happened. So Jesus was the first to raise himself. He was also the first to rise immortal. Everyone else who was raised died again, right? Lazarus got older and died again at some point. Everyone else I just listed, all those saints in Jerusalem, they eventually had to get buried again. Jesus was raised with a new spiritual body. You remember? The disciples would be in a locked room and Jesus would appear among them. And then he would disappear again. And yet, he would eat with them. And when doubting Thomas said, unless I touch his hands and put like and feel the nail holes and touch his side where he was pierced with the spear and he was able to touch Christ's form Jesus was familiar his spiritual body was familiar right when the guys meet him on the the road to Emmaus and uh and he was familiar and yet there was something different about him 
So Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to read this for you. Paul writes, Someone may ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish, he says. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you don't plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else. Okay, so what he's saying here is he's saying, how foolish. The resurrection body is going to be different than your physical body. Just like a seed is different. You want an apple tree? You don't plant an apple tree. The seed and the fruit has to fall and die and go into the ground and then the new body is formed. Then he goes on a little bit of a tangent and he says, you know, um, God gives it a body as he's determined and each kind of seed has its own body. All flesh isn't the same. You know, men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There's even heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, the splendor of the earthly bodies is another, the sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and even stars differ from stars in their splendor. So he's saying there's, there's lots of different kinds of bodies that God has given out as he determines. And then he comes back to his point and says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. Hear that? Your, your natural body is a seed. It's a seed. And when it's finally planted, it will grow. It will change. He says, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. So Jesus was the first to raise himself. He was the first to rise immortal. And he was the first to take up the keys. To take up the keys. Back to Revelation 1 where we started. John opens talking about Jesus, the firstborn from the dead. And then he says, I had a vision. He says, I saw one, it's Jesus, who appeared like a son of man. He says he was wearing this robe with this golden sash. His hair was white like wool. His eyes were like burning torches. His feet were like bronze. He uh, shone like the sun and his voice was like rushing of waters. And then he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me. And he said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. He took up the keys. Jesus isn't renting. He has authority over death and the place where the dead were held in prison. He's saying, I went to the grave and on my way out, I took the keys. I hold the keys of death and Hades and I have the power to set the prisoner free. This changes 
everything. If Jesus holds the key, see, if Lazarus was like rose from the grave, that's good. There's a couple of implications I can think of for my life. But because Jesus rose from the grave, the firstborn from the dead, it changes everything for me. If he holds the keys of death, it changes how I face death. It changes how we face death. This is what uh, the author of Hebrews says in uh, chapter 2. He says, since the children have flesh and blood, that's you and me, he too shared in their humanity, right? He was born, he lived. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. We were flesh and blood, destined to die. And it says he took on flesh and blood so that he could go and die and overcome the devil and free us who live in fear of death. We should be free of our fear of death. We should live free of our fear of death. I like how Paul talks about it in Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, no, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. This is what he says, brothers and sisters. He says, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. See, the... Early believers thought Jesus was going to be back like within their lifetime, any minute. They lived with this urgency and this understanding that the return of Christ was imminent. And then as time passed and the Lord delayed, some of them would pass away. They would get sick and they would die. And so Paul writes and says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. You see, he says a Christian who's died, he doesn't say they died. He says they're sleeping. <laughs> they're sleeping. By the way, that's what Jesus said about Lazarus. He died, and Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. We're going to go wake him up. And they say, well, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. Like, let him rest. And then Jesus speaks plainly and says, guys, he's dead. It's code for dead. But Christians don't die. Christians just sleep. So Paul says, brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. And we don't want you to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. If Jesus died and rose again, <laughs> then we're going to follow in that same path. We're going to sleep, and then we're going to wake up. Do we grieve like that? I mean, we hear this message at every funeral for every Christian. Everyone who knew Christ, we, we try to remember and we try to remind ourselves that it's not you know, goodbye, it's see you later, or something like that. But do we live with that kind of confidence? 
The early church lived like lions. They were threatened with death. All but one of the disciples were martyred, killed. They were told, deny Christ or die. And they said, bring it on. I will not stop declaring the truth of the firstborn from the dead. Do your worst. I want to read you one of my favorite quotes from J.R.R. Tolkien, Out of the Lord of the Rings. I was talking with Pastor Jesse about this earlier. (laughs) We were just saying, man, so many rich quotes come out of there. It should, like, be part of the canon almost. Anyway, that's just our geekness coming out, our nerdiness. But Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, there's this scene. And Gandalf the wizard and Pippin the hobbit are... In the, they're on the eve of a great battle. They are surrounded by an overwhelming force. It is certain death the next morning when the battle happens. And Pippin is kind of bemoaning that, and he says, I wish it wouldn't end this way. And then Gandalf says this. He looks with this knowing look at Pippin, and he says, the end? no. The journey doesn't end here. Death is just another path, one that we all must take. And then he says, the gray rain curtain of this world rolls back and all turns to silver glass. And then you see it. And Pippin says, what? See what? White shores, and beyond them a far green country under a swift sunrise. Did you know that Tolkien was an orphan? His dad died when he was three. His mom was a devout Catholic, raised him in the church, and then died when he was 12. The guy who penned those words was familiar with grief. And he found hope. He found courage. If Jesus holds the keys of death, it changes how we face death, which changes how we face sickness. I've got to go back to 1 Corinthians 15 again, where we read earlier, about the, the body being like a seed that uh, needs to die so it can be raised immortal. This is uh, just a bit earlier in the chapter. Paul is explaining this again, and he says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See all those themes coming together? The first fruits. For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as as in Adam, that's who he's talking about, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. He's saying, you know what? We were immortal at first. But death entered through Adam, and immortality also enters through the second Adam. Paul, in other books, elaborates on this idea that Jesus is a second Adam. 
And then he says, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits. Then when he comes, all who belong to him. And then the end will come. When he hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing in this world. And the creation groans and like labor pains anticipates the return of Christ at the end of days when he remakes this earth. Until then, we are all subject to decay. This seed needs to be planted. This seed needs to die so that it can be planted so that it can be remade. God is life and health, and so when we get sick and when someone dies, it feels so counter to, to the kingdom of God. But it's actually a part of his better plan. This is actually why we were kicked out of the garden. So we wouldn't live forever in this broken world. That's what the angel and the flaming sword was all about. Lest they eat from the tree of life and then live forever in a fallen world. That would be worse. So God's plan is, is not to perpetually heal my body. Healing when it comes, and it does come. There is such thing as divine healing. Even Jesus raising Lazarus, healing people. At times, God mows the lawn. At times, he invades this world with his redemptive power for his own purposes. But healing of this Mortal flesh is only a band-aid. It's only a band-aid. And God has something better in mind. He's going to replace this model. And the new model is going to have a full head of hair. <laughs> right? I need to hear some amens. There's at least a few guys in here that can give me a hearty amen. The new model is never going to perish or spoil or fade. When sickness comes, and it will come, remember the hope we have in the firstborn from the dead. See, there's this concept in Scripture about the firstborn. There's a passage in Psalms that says that David was the, appointed the firstborn over the kings of the earth. But he wasn't the first king, even of Israel. And he wasn't even the firstborn in his own family. It's not about chronological. 
when you're the firstborn. It's about supremacy. When sickness comes, remember the firstborn from the dead who has unlocked the prison of death and find courage. I want to close with two verses out of uh, the book of Philippians. So this is Paul again, who has preached this message of the firstborn from the dead his whole life, and at this point is in jail and nearing the end of his life. And I want this to be my prayer. I hope it's your prayer. This is how Paul is living at the end of his life in jail. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, but to die is gain.